I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. It is uh, Michigan State game week where I've kind of jokingly been saying preseason is over and the real season is about to begin. And we're going to find out what indeed we have with this football team. Um, there's some things that we could take away and other things I think are still kind of a mystery to us. But on Monday, we had a chance to talk to the coordinators and uh, Coach Grubb, Coach Morrell, as well as uh, Coach DeBoer. And I, I think the first question asked was probably the most important. Is he going to let the beard grow back? And he said, absolutely. Yeah. So Coach Morrell, growing the beard yeah, back. I think he's going to do what basically I have done, which is you grow it out, you shave it off. You grow it out, you shave it off. It just That's how he's going to do it. <clears throat> And he also said that he wore sunglasses in every setting except when he's indoors. Yeah. So. But you're keeping the soul patch. I always keep it. <coughs> this is just, this is actually a goatee. So okay. uh, should I? Uh, looks like an very, extended soul patch. No. no. Shh, why don't both you and I do that? Uh, I'm already there. Okay. And then some. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but uh, Coach DeBoer uh, in a good mood on Monday, and um, you know he talked about Rich Newton coming back, and I I think that was pretty much the surprise of the game on um, on uh, Saturday because we hadn't seen Rich practice, we hadn't seen him suit up this year, and when he came out of the tunnel, he was dressed, which kind yeah. of surprised us. I and remember then you pointing it out to me. Going, and you pointed, you go, look. And I go, yeah, I saw him. It, I, it was, it, he's, it's funny because he doesn't look that big without pads on, but when he's in pads, he looks bigger than he actually is. What's yeah. he listed at, 205? Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think we're just going to have to take at face value and give the coaches the benefit of the doubt because there's a number of guys, whether it's been Jackson Kirkland, you know, he's been the most high profile one, but obviously there's been Richard Newton. Now Perryman. it's been Sam Adams, Jordan Perryman. They're all saying they should be available. It makes it sound like it's kind of a week-to-week thing. Um, But until you actually get out there and see them warming up, you're just never going to know. And I think that really ultimately is the point of the reason why they say what they say. Well, I think that why it was so surprising is because just, you know, we try to read through the lines because coaches don't always tell you anything and you have to interpret a little bit. But from the, you know, when we'd ask Grubb or Marks about that, it almost seemed to me, I was interpreting, he may have been in the doghouse a little bit because he wasn't able to practice. Um, I, I wasn't quite there. I think they were more just frustrated that he was injured. And wasn't fully healthy, and and maybe uh, they wanted to see what he could do because they had, they had heard good things about him. Well, I was going to say it, Kim's comment almost makes it kind of intimate that you're thinking that they thought maybe he was just hurt instead of actually being injured. It's kind of what I was reading between the lines a little bit, and I may have misinterpreted that. Well, no, well, yeah. I don't know because if yeah. you watch him run, it's not like he's ever shied away from contact in his entire life. Yeah. I find it hard to believe that all of a sudden he would give up a chance to play in a game because the coaches think he might be just hurt instead of injured? But we didn't know. You know? Didn't and, know. And when you don't know, you, your mind starts going a little crazy. So okay. Some people's do. <laughs> and it's not just you, though. It's not just you. I, I mean, there's people who, well, they didn't say this, so this is, must be what's going on. Yeah. That, that's, it's reading between the lines yeah, that gets us in yeah, trouble. Exactly. Yeah, but Coach DeBoer seemed pretty much pretty pleased with it after the discussion we had with him on Monday. I don't think I don't think you could walk away from that game and not be pleased with the way the team performed. I'm sure there was mistakes. There's a lot of things for them to clean up and all those kind of things. But first of all, Kalen DeBoer is a pretty positive guy anyway, right? He's not going to get down. I think he's pretty even keel, but he's a smiley guy too. He just kind of always seems to have a smile. I still go back to the fact that he thinks he's like. I am the head coach of the University of Washington. This is pretty cool. And I think he really is enjoying himself, and I think he enjoys this team. And and I think he knows how talented this team was when he came in, and he felt like he could could win quicker than – and Chris, it was kind of funny because he's always giving us really good answers and they're long answers, and he explains stuff. And when I asked him if he had any um, uh, connection, you know, with the coach at Michigan State, he says, no. That nope. was his answer. Just yeah. no. <laughs> that was the shortest answer he's ever given with Mel well, Tucker. If you don't, then you don't. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else you yeah. want. I mean, this isn't Rick Neuheisel during the Apple Cup asking, you know, responding to Blaine Newnham when Blaine Newnham said, are you 
trying to set a record for most one-word answers in a press conference, and he's like, no. <laughs> that, that, that's not what we're talking about with Kalen DeBoer. No. Kalen DeBoer is more than happy to give you uh, a, a very nice, fine, detailed answer if the question warrants it. But if it's a simple yes or no, then he's going to tell you. It was, I thought it was kind of funny. Well, he does have a, you know, obviously a history with, um, with Michigan State. The, the one game, I think, where he was at Indiana, they, it was weird because of the COVID year. They ended up actually playing at Michigan State back-to-back seasons. But it was the year after, in 2020, when uh, Indiana, I think, was ranked top 10, and they went to Michigan State and blanked them, like 24 nothing, which obviously a huge thing. But Penix obviously had a big game that day. But the year before, when, when they played at Michigan State, DeBoer was the coordinator. Uh, they lost, I think, 40-31. to 31. Um, Pretty good game. I think if I remember right, um, Indiana actually took the lead really early, like in the first 30 seconds or minute of the fourth quarter, and then Michigan State eventually pulled away. But, um, yeah, so he has a connection with this team. He he understands, and he understands kind of generally, even though they were playing against a a Mark D'Antonio team and not a, a Mel Tucker team, I think he has a pretty good idea of what to expect just in terms of mentality, physicality, mindset, the whole thing. You know, this Michigan State usually has built its reputation on being a pretty tough, rugged team. You know, with you know, we had a chance to talk to Coach Grubb a little bit as well. You know, and it just makes me beg the question because I keep on wondering this: how much of this offense have they shown so far, and how much have they left, you know, in their back pocket? Because he, Coach, uh, you know, DeBoer just seems like one of those guys that he's just pretty honest, pretty open. He actually talks about injuries with us, so he doesn't seem like the guy that's going to hold anything in his back pocket, but you just wonder if there's more to this offense than we've seen so far, which has actually been pretty good. Well, I was going to say, I'm not, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but talking to the other co-defensive coordinator um, into this week, William Inge, I asked him flat out, I said, do, do you feel in some ways through the first two weeks are Michigan State and Washington kind of mirroring each other in the sense that they have – Two games where they have dominated lesser opponents, yet you still, if you watch the tape, you can still see some of the mistakes made. You can still see that there's plenty of meat left on the bone for the coaches to really go at and coach and do all those types of things. He goes, absolutely. He goes, when you're talking about, when you when you really go back and look at great teams, that's exactly how they start. They start by, you know, hopefully coming out and really establishing themselves, yet at the same time, when you watch the tape, you realize, okay, there's certain things where you can really clean up, and when you... When you get all eleven guys at the same page, that's when you can be really, really good. I, you know, I, I still, I, I'm sure there's some things they've held back, but I don't think they, you know, I've said this several times on the thing. I, I just don't think they've held very much back. I think they, they want to practice some of these against another team. They want to practice the timing. They want to make sure it's right because when they run up against their own guys, those guys have seen some of these plays over and over and over again, so they're going to be able to blow up a play that maybe another team hasn't seen yet and isn't going to be able to do. Well, I thought it was interesting, you know, when Coach DeBoer, I can't remember whether it was this week or last week, and he said everybody's pretty much running the same offense. The only difference is the window dressing that they put on each play. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that about last year's Washington's offense. <laughs> yeah. they, they, they definitely, you know, Jimmy Lake outthunk himself in, in you know, 2020 vision. Way too and all much. That. Really over, really overthunk it. So yeah, I mean, I would say most of the let's let's clarify it or or put a qualifier on it. Most successful offenses in college football right now probably are running a spread type situation. You know, a lot of times with with you know eleven personnel as their base um, when you're running three receivers. Uh, sometimes they'll run twelve. Maybe you'll run a couple tight ends out there if if you want to run a little bit more on the earlier downs. But yeah, they're, they're, you know, even though Michigan State is really going to try to to start you guys off with power and then try to throw over the top with play action and do that kind of thing, that's not necessarily Washington tried to do that last year too. That was a big hallmark of what Washington tried to do last year. They just didn't have the they didn't have the horses to get it done, especially at uh, when it came down to at the at the skill positions at quarterback too. Yeah, and I think the part of the offense that we saw more against Portland State, and I don't know if that was just trying to show them something or that's something we're going to see as much, but I thought they ran the Wildcat more last week than they yeah, had the previous week. And, and honestly, week. I've been surprised to see this Wildcat as much as I have. Um, and I think Wayne Talapapa does a good job, but he actually handed it off a couple times do you, do you too. Think, do you think that's their way of trying to maybe impress upon the team that they, they we need – when I say we, I'm talking about looking at them as a team. 
that they need to figure out a way to get some power game going. Yeah, maybe, some downhill run game. Maybe a little bit, and, it, and they've gotten it every time they've done they it. They got it in week yeah. two for sure. Yeah, when they and, really started running. And uh, you know, I saw him hand off to Giles Jackson. I think one one time as well. And uh, Giles actually got out and got a play. So, um, yeah, well, it seems like they're going to do different things and, and give you different looks. It just it makes me wonder if they're just showing that. You know, it was like back in the day when Washington started running a little bit of the option, you know, when the coaches talked. We run that a couple of times, and it's amazing how much time the other team has to spend mm-hmm. on preparing for the option, which takes it away from the other stuff that we want to do. And I mm-hmm. wonder if there's a little bit of that going well, on. Well, they did that. They ran the option yeah. to, to Will play. Nixon, yeah. And uh, I, I still, for the life of me, I don't get why there isn't any punishment for the quarterback to, to pitch it. I've never under, The guy had a clean shot at Michael Penix and fanned off. Well, they're they're to, a protected species. I, I understand that, but... Just lay a wall up on the quarterback one time. They're not going to run that a lot, a lot of times. Well, the, and the other reason why they should have really done that at that place in time, what was that? What did that end up being like a four yard run? Yeah. What's the penalty? Two yards. I know. Take the hit. I know. I mean, it's like it's I've, like when um, I've never understood why guys feather off. And that's what they call it, the feather technique, where they yeah. I was going to say, off. I think it was the Kent State game where uh, they down the ball at the one, and Giles Jackson mm-hmm. had a penalty. And I'm like, well, you might as well take that penalty. So yeah. what's the distance? Like yeah. six inches? Yeah. Take the penalty. If, yeah. if you know, if you can get away with it, it didn't really matter at the end of the day. I want to get back to you hate the Wildcat. I'm not a big fan. Because yeah, I mean, you, you know what's happening. They're going to run the ball. You just don't know how they're going to run the ball. But it seems it's been effective over the years. Sure. <laughs> just not a fan. But I'm 51. I, I like old school football. I prefer eye formation. I... That's just me. Well, wait, they're running the ball. Aren't you a fan of running the ball? <laughs> I am. Just not. A, I He's, don't understand why you need to get it. Get off, get off his lawn, Chris. Yeah. Get off his lawn. Why is, it, why is it? It's just another form of option. I understand. I'm just waiting for him to throw a pass. Okay. I want to see Rome Dunsey back there and throw the ball. That's what yeah, I want to see. Yeah, to him and then throw it. Yeah, yeah. I want to see Rome throw the ball because he's got an arm. But, uh, you know, uh, Tuesday we had a chance to talk to the players. I had a chance to talk to Jack Westover and then Michael Penix. And it was kind of funny because, you know, uh, Jack's been around a while. And I asked him if he watched the Seahawk game and the um, catch that uh, Disley made. And I said, do you ever go to Michael and say, hey, I'm open? Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, he goes, yeah, once I, you know, told him I was open, and then I went back and watched the All-22, and there was a safety in back of me that I didn't see. Yeah. So I asked Michael about that. He goes, yeah, I remember that. He goes, there was a safety there that I saw. <laughs> you know, He goes, I saw it before Jack did. He says, more often or not, when guys say they're open, they're not. Yeah. yeah. Well, but again, that's, that's Penix just really understanding this offense backwards and forwards. And, and how to read a defense, too. Yeah, and, and, and not to jump too far ahead, but I was asked um, by the, one of the Michigan State publishers to, to um, some questions about Washington's you know, offense, and, and they asked specifically about Penix and, and why he won the battle. And it's like, you know, when, when you get a guy that has that kind of familiarity with this offense and specifically what DeBoer and, and Ryan Grubb want to run, the only thing that's changed is the terminology, is the nomenclature. Everything else is the exact same, that they ran at Indiana. And when you know backwards and forwards what they want to do, and you can slice and dice it any way you want to cut it up based on uh, what you see and how he, how he runs the mechanics of that offense, it was, in hindsight, it's so easy to see that he had the job from day one, and it was simply a matter of the coaches having to run that, that quarterback battle to make sure that the other guys understood that they had gotten a chance, even if it was even if it was completely rigged from the start. And Scott, you know, um, during spring and fall camp, we didn't get to see everything, you know. And to me, what I'm seeing out of Michael Penix is more than what we saw in fall and spring camp. It's, I mean, it's a completely different level than oh, what absolutely. we saw. Absolutely. Do we, I think, do a we lot think of... he's Marcus Tuiasasopo? No. Do we think he's one of those guys that's like practice player? Yeah, he, oh, he gets, that, his, he gets the job saying. done. Yeah. But then when the, when the game, when it, he's the, a gamer. Gamer, the gamer, gamer comes and all of a sudden it's like, okay, under the bright lights, I'm a different cat. Because yeah. the way we've seen him and how good he looks, and, and maybe something has to do with the quality of the players that they're playing against, but I didn't expect him to be this good based upon what I saw. I, you know, I... 
I don't know. I mean, I think it's. I think a lot of it has to do with the competition they played against Kansas State's. Or, I'm sorry, Kent State's secondary is not good, and Washington's wide receiver talent was able to overwhelm them as well as the Portland State uh, guys. So this weekend is going to be a, a lot different. Now Michigan State, I've, I've watched uh, film film on their guys uh, from the first two games this year. I need to go back and watch the last year's team and, and see what it looked like when they were playing like Ohio State and things like that. But this secondary looks like it's better than what they faced, and it also but it also looks like you can you can make some the the, the key for, for playing Michigan State at least from what I've seen is running the ball. If you can run the ball against them, and Michigan State can be run on, you can run the ball against them. Then you can get those one on one outside, and then that's where Washington's wide receiver talent has to take over. Yeah. No, they're, they're going to try to make you one-dimensional. They're going to try to stop you at the line of scrimmage, and then they're going to try to use their rush to really cause panics a lot of problems. Um, because at this point, it certainly looks defensively like both teams, their strengths are along the line and their weaknesses are in the secondary. Now, with Washington, I think it's more a matter of depth than anything else. I don't know if that can be the same uh, for Michigan State. I do know they're missing a couple of guys. So that which which is going to hurt them. I think Henderson is one of those guys that I think is is hurt. I don't don't expect that he's going to play this weekend. I may be wrong about that, but you know it's a situation where I think in in many many ways, even though um, Michigan State is a top ten team by the coaches poll, there's a lot of similarities between these two teams. There's a lot of similarities, especially on defense. Yeah. Again, Tuesday we had a chance to talk to players, and just so you guys know the schedule, we get. Um, you know, Coach DeBoer on Monday, and then we get coordinators. And then since we have co-coordinators on defense, they alternate on weeks. And then Tuesday, um, we get uh, players, and Wednesday, we get all the other assistant coaches. But somebody was commenting on it seemed like the players were a lot more available to us this year than they have been in the past. And that's absolutely true because during the COVID year where fans weren't allowed in the stadium, our contact was pretty much over Zoom, nothing really live. And then, um, you know, over the year before, um, you know, last year, a lot of it was we would get guys just we were in masks in chairs, you know, 30, 40 feet away, and players were behind the desk up there, and we'd only get one, two, maybe three players, and then just maybe one coach. But this year, everything is back to normal, where we can pretty much yeah. get anybody Let's we want. Let's go back to 2019, when it was the last normal year. Yeah. Um, we got the same amount of players, and the, and, and the same amount of assistant coaches, and coaches in general. The difference was, and I kind of mapped this out for people, on Mondays, back in the old days, quote-unquote old days, you just got the head coach. Then you would get offensive players and assistant coaches on this, on Tuesday and defensive, whatever it was, or yeah. defensive players and defensive assistant coaches on Wednesday. And then you'd get the head coach on Thursday one more time before the, the game. And now we get the head coach and one of the, well, one of the two defensive coordinators and the offense coordinator then you get the players all in one day and we're not putting those in one story like we used to we're doing different stories so it might seem like a lot more and then we get the co the assistant coaches on uh wednesday and the, those... yeah, because because we were only dealing with one side of the ball yeah. on tuesday and the other side of the ball yeah. on wednesday so it made sense to write about each side of the ball and maybe the storylines mm -hmm. or things like that. Now that we get all the players on offense and defense one day and all the coaches on offense and defense the next day, it makes a lot more sense to just maybe run some individual, individual storylines on each conversation based yeah. on where it goes. And just for those, you know, because we do this all the time, so we know what it looks like. Uh, Monday, um, Coach DeBoer and the coordinators are up in front of the microphone mm -hmm. in the team room uh, in front of a desk. Um, when we do the players and coaches, we call it a gaggle where we just guys just walk up and, you know, we'll have 10, 12 guys at a practice and you just grab the guy and you start asking questions. And that's why you will see multiple people asking questions and we're just sticking in our mics mm -hmm. uh, when softy. I mean, everybody pretty much knows what softy's doing because he's getting guys. He takes to, his off to the side. He takes his off to the side. Nobody interrupts him because he's getting stuff to use for pregame on Saturday. And the same with Tony Castricone. So when those guys gr grab guys off to the side, we don't interrupt what them. Was the, 
was it was it Shepard that he was interviewing that one time where it was like a laugh fest, like the whole time oh, they were so hear, loud, yeah, like you, right you behind us as we're interviewing. You're like, come on, guys. Jeez. Yeah, it was multiple interviews. You could hear him do it. But to go back to your initial comment, Kim, about the the thought that fans are getting the impression that the, the coaches and the players are a little bit more open than last year, um, I think there's a lot of credence to that yeah. for a couple of reasons. Um, but the main reason is that it all – it all flows from the head coach. Yeah, Jimmy Lake had two very different personas. We got to see, in a lot of ways, we got to see the the the, the Jimmy Lake that um, was off the record, for for lack of a better term. You know, we could see we got a chance to to speak to him in some real candid situations uh, over the years, and really got to know him pretty well. But when he was on the record and he had the microphone stuck in his face, he could be a very different guy. Yeah, um, that is just not the case with Kalen DeBoer, and you could almost say that a little, a little bit to Chris Peterson. Chris Peterson was never a different guy under the microphone, but he would he would treat the subjects and the situations, things like that, maybe a little differently. But he would never treat you differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was different under Jimmy. Whereas with Kalen DeBoer, he's always open. And he's always going to give you the best answer he can, whether you've got a mic in front of you or not. And um, I, I wouldn't say that's refreshing because I've seen that in the past. I know what it looks like. Um, but that's rare. You just don't yeah. see that very often anymore. Well, we go all the way back to, you know, and this is going way back, and I know I'm going to send you guys just spazzing out. But, uh, you know, when we used to interview players under Tyrone, their comments were reviewed, and I think there was punishment and penalties if the yeah. guys said the wrong thing. So guys were really leery to say anything. And I honestly you, think Jimmy Lake was like that with the coaches. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure we shouldn't jump ahead and just assume that that's not happening here. Mm-hmm. I think these guys are understanding, but, I, I, again, I think it flows from DeBoer. I think he just exudes such a positive attitude and really treats these guys and, and approaches their – communications from a position of trust and understanding and just communication that that I think these guys are just feeling a lot more open about these things because they just understand that the things around the team as a whole are just a lot more positive and there isn't a lot of you know, maybe people looking over your shoulder or those types of things. The players go through every year, beginning of the year, they go through media training, you know, on how to deal with the media I think Voy Tanufi uh, just skipped those. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's no, no, Quo. Quo, Quo, I think Quo just, you know, because just yeah. if you ever listen to the audio of Quo, they're always good. Yeah. It's just the way he yeah. talks. And it's so funny. He wasn't like that during the recruiting process. Now, it's a lot different. I'm calling a guy 3,000 miles away from me, you know, asking how his trip to UW goes or, you know, all these different things. And now he's got me, someone in it, you know, they're talking to him. It's a lot different. I get it. But he was not that verbose. Who was, well, it? Who was it last year who would always drop a profanity bomb? Who was it last year? There was one guy who oh, did it regularly. There's a few that do it, and they, and they catch themselves right away. Um, Quow does so, it. I know Ryan, I know Ryan Bowman oh, did it no, once Sean or twice. McGrew. Yeah, it was yeah, Sean. But I know Ryan Bowman has done it once or yeah. twice, but he immediately they're like, "Oh yeah, sorry, Ken." Quow is every sentence. That. Yeah, but but um, Quow is really interesting because I was actually the first guy to meet him from Dogman because yeah, he was he was an underclass right? underclass guy at the Poly Bowl, and the way they do it at the Polynesian Bowl is they always bring the next class, the top guys from the islands, for the next recruiting class in for a quick little recruiting primer. Like, they'll talk to the guys from 24-7 because Brandon Huffman will be there. Blair will be there. Um, Greg Biggins might be there. And then I'm, I'm there, too, and there might be some other individual publishers that will show up, too. So I got a chance to talk to Quow, and I actually took a picture of Quow with, with him rocking the dubs because the, pos- the, 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 the interview was so positive towards Washington that I thought, well, if there's ever a chance that this guy actually ends up committing to Washington, I'm going to want to have a picture of this. Mm-hmm. And um, as it turned out, it worked. But um, he was really – I thought he was very forthcoming when I first met him. And, again, maybe that is just the difference of talking to someone in person and getting yeah. a chance to see them eye to eye as opposed to, I don't know well, who this guy is you, on the phone. You guys remember how, when we had our radio show, Kim would go, how is he? 
because we wanted to do an interview with somebody on the phone. And there were times when I was like, yeah, we don't want to interview this kid on the phone. And and it isn't because they weren't smart or they weren't good kids. They just weren't used to it. They just aren't good at that stuff. And then there's other ones that you're just like, oh, yeah, we'll ask him one question. Well, and the other thing, too, is when when they're in their element, like if you're catching them on the field and things like that, that's one thing. But, like, I even remember when we used to bring in some guys and we'd bring them in the studio in the uh-huh. summer. Uh-huh. You know, sometimes it all of a sudden, it, the realization that this was going out to, you know, uh-huh, their families are listening, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But, but when they realized that maybe there was a ton of other people that might be listening to this and this, they may not make a, what, what if I make a mistake or what if I say something I shouldn't say? All of a sudden, it's yeah. like you get nine, back to that kind of clam up thing. Of, nine times out of ten, that was local guys, too. Yes. So guys that we knew, we had known for a long time and everything right. like that. Yeah, and just uh, on Tuesday talking to players, I had a chance to talk to Savelle, who's always uh, – he's a really bright, yeah. articulate kid, and uh, he's showing up a lot more. Again, I had a chance to talk to Jack Westover. And then Jaden Green was interesting as well. You know, because He said he showed up here as 186 yeah. pounds, and he's put on 30 pounds, and he made his first tackle. So it was interesting talking to him about making the first tackle and um, – See, I didn't get – I haven't gotten to read that one yet. So. That's a good one because it, it really – you know, people. I know fans. It's it's not flashy. It's not no. sexy. But when you have a when you have a, a long snapper that can get down there and make the initial tackle, that's just bonus. That's just a, that's yeah. huge. That's well, what just, was, you never expect that. Well, what was funny was because Jaden's a really good kid, yeah. right? And he's put in the work. He's added thirty pounds. So I wanted to talk to him, right? Because nobody else had talked to him, and so. Um, we, uh, I started interviewing him, and then all of a sudden, that was the day that they announced Michael Penix was going to be the starter. So Coach DeBoer came over. I go, Jaden, I got to go get Coach DeBoer. So he goes, okay, I'll wait. So then um, I, he finished with that, and then it was um, – I went back over and talked to him for about another 30 seconds, and then they had Michael Penix for us. I go, Jaden, I hate to do this. you know, But he really wanted to talk, yeah. so I got him again on Tuesday – and it was really fun because I asked him if it was true or false because I'd heard down on the sidelines that he was telling the players before the game all excited, I'm going to get a tackle, I'm going to get a tackle. So when he made that tackle on uh, on the punt and he went back to the sideline, the sideline just engulfed him. So it was really yeah. cool. You don't get those moments in pro football, and that's why it was so cool to talk to Jay. Well, it was also cool because he only had one chance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, had to make the, chance. he had to make the most of that opportunity. So he uh, During the recruiting process, I think I was the only person who talked to him. I could be wrong on that, but I think I was the only recruiting person to talk to him. And so, like, he and I would text and stuff back and forth, and he'd he'd ask about everything. He came in during the COVID season, and he was texting me beforehand, what's it like up there? It, am I going to have to wear a mask everywhere? I'm like, you should be asking coaches. the coaches about yeah. this, not me. And I'm like, well, it's I said it's like it is everywhere right now. And so, you know, but – but he, he loves it up here. He loved it up here when he visited. He loved it up here once he got here. Um, I still remember his first snap going 15, 20 feet over. <laughs> oh, no, we, we, I wrote that. Yeah. Where it was like, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of fans out there that are like, why did they want to write a story yeah. about the guy that no one wants to hear from? Yeah. Because if you hear from the long snapper, it's because he's it's screwed usually, up. Usually. Well, no, it's almost always because they've yeah. screwed up. The, the, the fact that he made a tackle against Portland State was kind of almost, you know, revelatory yeah. because that's like the exact opposite of what you would normally expect uh, when you see a long snapper in the news. Well, he, you know, it's like Ernie, Ernie Conwell on the international snap at the Sun Bowl. You know, stuff like that. You just, oh, well, he, oh you know, snapping out of the stadium. He put in the work, put, putting on 30 pounds of muscle since he got good. in. That's yeah. impressive. Oh, no, it's, he it's, played it's, linebacker at his school, I'm yeah. pretty sure. It's a story that needs to be told because it's it's one of those things where, just like Race Porter and, and the work that he did, now we're starting to see it a little bit with Jack McAllister and his abilities upon Grady him. Gross. These are all, yeah, Grady Gross is, is another guy that and, eventually well, we're going to want to talk to. And Peyton Henry was a walk-on. Yep, for sure. These are all yeah. storylines. You know, everyone always talks, like on game day, they're like, you know, one of the first things they talk about early, because it's one of the first actions, is why doesn't Washington get a kicker that can kick the ball in the end zone? Because they're sick and tired of long returns. They're sick and tired of any returns. Well, part of the part of the issue is get a guy with a leg like Grady Gross, and you won't have a problem. What they can't see is they can't see which direction the wind's blowing, mm-hmm. and the fact that even though Grady Gross wasn't necessarily getting the ball to the end zone, getting the ball to like the one-yard line, 
against Portland State because into that wind was actually really really good. Because you look at the flags on top of the uh, flat on top of the yes uh, goalposts and yeah. they, they're going one way, and you look at the other end of the stadium and they're going another way. Yeah. Well, and that is a problem at Husky Stadium. Yeah. It's always been a problem: the swirling wind. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We got a chance um, to uh, talk to the uh, assistant coaches, and I got some really interesting comments from both Lee Marks and um, Coach Shepard. Um, I asked, and this is this was kind of interesting. I asked him if I'm a running back because you've got competition. You know, if I'm one of those guys and I come to you, and what do I need to do to get more carries? And I thought his answer was real interesting because he did not hesitate at all know the playbook. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, that we just don't – running back coaches don't – I'm not just teaching my guys to run the football. He says we ask our backs to do a lot of stuff. And if you notice the motion and take a look at what they did at Fresno State and you take a look at this offense, they're asking their backs to do a lot. And he said that's the number one thing. You have to know the playbook. I guess this is probably implied in that. But see, because other, other running backs coaches that we've talked to – We've gotten various answers, but almost uniformly, they've said pass protection. Yeah. Like, you've got to be able to block. If you've got to be able to block in order to be able to do all the rest of the stuff. He goes, because when we're watching you on tape, we can see that you can run. We we see how you do that. Running the ball seems to be, like, the easiest thing you can do. Yeah. Taking care of all your other responsibilities, and obviously I think that probably is covered under understanding the playbook. Is uh, is the stuff that gets you on the field? But we've seen, you know, these running backs, and when we take a look at the guy that they recruited, Tybo Rogers, he's doing a lot of what they're going to ask him to do here. Well, it, he had nine receptions for a hundred yards in his first game that he played. Well, it made it kind of interesting he, the way he talked. And go back and listen to it, where you know some of these guys that are no longer here, sure made it seem like it's because they just didn't know the playbook. Yeah, might have been. Yeah, I mean, some of them were hurt. But other guys just and didn't fit them what they were looking to do. I think that's a lot. The of hard, the, the hard thing, the irony though, and, and the conundrum is when you see a guy like Tybo Rogers, who's clearly a great skill athlete. He's catching the ball and running the ball with equal skill. Do you think that guy's being asked to block in his offense? No. <laughs> yeah. The coach would look at you sideways. He's like, "We're giving that guy well, the ball. We're we, not trying to." We always to talk block. about it, Chris. One of our favorite drills in camp. Mm-hmm. Is watching the linebackers versus pass the running pro. backs and pass protection, yeah. and you can it is crazy and it's it's like clockwork. The first time that they do it, the young guys have no idea what. But but doing. even the bigger guys, like I've seen situations, and I, I'm not going to single out certain guys, um, the bigger guys. But I will over time. You look at a guy, some of the best pass blockers in the last five six years at running back have been like Miles Gaskin, yeah. Sean McGrew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without fail, Chris Paul. They're just good at it. Yeah. Well, if you want to go back further, yes. But that's it. they're just good at it. They figured out yeah, how Saint to do was it. Pretty good at it. Technique too, yeah. was everything. Just because you may be six two two twenty, that doesn't mean you're good at it. Yeah. You, you got to be work able to move it. your feet and yeah. use your hands. You got to be able to work at it. And you got to be able to take the coaching. Also had a chance to talk to Lee Marks about Rich Newton, you know, about where he was hiding him. And you had a chance to talk to Rich um, also on Tuesday. But, um, you know, just, you know, one of the things with Rich is he runs in such a physical style, yet he's been injured. And is that a concern? He goes, that's just the way Rich runs. You're not going to take that out of him. You know, what did he have to say? What did Rich have to say when you talked to him on Tuesday? Well, I just he, you know, he's grateful to be back out there and doing his thing. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, but it was funny because we even caught up with him. Was it was it in fall camp or late in spring camp, where he made it sound like he was ready to go and blah 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 and blah blah blah. And then that right after that was when we had the 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 soundbite from Coach Grubb saying, "Well, we don't know anything about him because we haven't seen him because he's hurt." It's like it, it seemed like the disconnect. Yeah, there was a huge disconnect early, and now it feels like everybody's back on the same page now. So, and I think that's just uh, probably is just down to the fact that he got cleared, and now that they've gotten cleared, 
it's up to what what Lee Marks said. It's up to Rich to know the playbook, to know what their responsibilities are. Because make no mistake, what Rich Newton is being asked to do now is probably going to be very different than what he was asked to do last year. Yeah. And, it, and that's, that's going to be a big change for him. And how he responds to that is going to tell you everything. How he responded to that against Portland State I thought was fantastic because we really did get to see him in his full flow. When he's really going, he's running downhill, he's looking to make contact, he's looking to hit guys, bounce off of them, make extra yards. He's not, try, he's not going to avoid people. I saw his game. It just seems like with this coaching staff, Chris, where the this coaching staff is asking each position player to do more than maybe staffs in the past where we talk about, you know, the running backs having to know the playbook. And when I talk to Jamarcus Shepard, um, that physicality thing to him is most important. And if you get a chance to listen to the audio, um, I was talking to him about Denzel Boston because normally the freshman receivers aren't going to be your most physical guys. But I was right there on the goal line and watched the the pass to uh, Denzel Boston. And Denzel, on that pass interference call, he was pissed. And he wrapped the guy's head up and threw him down. When I saw the flag, I honestly thought it was going to be a personal foul instead of the pass interference. But then on the next play, um, they gave him the ball on the on the sweep, and he trucked a guy. I mean, he absolutely trucked a guy. So it's kind of interesting when you talk to these coaches. It just seems like, to me, they're demanding more out of guys than maybe the previous staffs that we've covered. Well, I just think that more than anything, I think they just understand the immediacy of taking advantage of your opportunities. That's all. I mean, I think that... I don't feel like a lot has changed in football over the years other than the fact that at the high school level, guys are so – it's so much more a 365 game, whereas there's really no offseason anymore. So they're, if they're not playing with their teammates, they're practicing with their club team or they're working out with uh, seven-on-seven teams and they're doing all that kind of stuff for the skill guys. So I think that's a huge part of it, but generally speaking – you know, I think these guys just understand they're not going to get a lot of chances to really impress these guys right away. And when they do, they've got to take advantage of him. And I think Denzel Boston's a great story right now because the way he's operating and the way he's taking on the challenge of being physical as a true freshman, it's pretty impressive. Is he the biggest wide receiver in the room? Tallest. No, Odunze is. Tallest. He's 6'4". He's 6'3", yeah, right in that range. Big kid. He'll put yeah. on some weight. Who, what, what coaches did you have a chance to talk to this um, week, Scott? I spoke to Eric Schmidt and to Coach Brown. You um, love Coach Schmidt. I, I always talk to Coach Schmidt, it seems like. Um, he's a great guy. He gives you great answers, too. Um, I asked him you know, what Michigan State does that kind of concerns him and has him worried. And he goes, well, he goes, they're really physical on the edges. They're tight ends. They're, they're tackles. They'll hit you in different ways they'll 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 do different things up front and that's something we have to be able to match and funnel inside and do and he says he 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 did say that from from one week to the next so kent state to portland state they were able to do do much better and he said it and he goes it wasn't just because the competition level might have been a little bit down he said it was because scheme wise they did what they were supposed to do and Sealed the edge, which allowed because they only allowed what was it, eighty yards rushing, something like that, eighty one, and then passing was fifty. And and he he said, you know, we just our guys and I and I also asked, you know, what since you don't do a lot of live tackling in practices, was it good to get that Kent State game under your belt? Because now because you tackled better against Portland State. And he said, he said, obviously that is going to help us. But he goes, some of it was just our guys not breaking down, not using the right technique to make the tackle, not nece- necessarily even just not being able to hold on. It was, it was the stuff leading up to that to put them in a position to make a good tackle. And he said that that was better against them. And he goes, obviously we're going to have to be even much better than that against a team like Michigan State who likes to just pound you and come right at you. And, and stuff, but, uh, you know, he was very encouraged. And then as far as Coach Brown, Michigan State has some big wide receivers. We know one of them, Jeremy Bernard, but they've got some big wide receivers and guys who are making big catches, like one-handed catches, stretching and doing all this different stuff. Now, they played uh, Western Michigan, and I can't remember who the other one was. Akron. Akron. Yeah, Akron. Yeah. So, you know, Akron. 
uh, Western Michigan and Akron. And, I mean, the, it's really hard to tell how good these wide receivers are because they're going to be going up against much more physical, much bigger wide uh, defensive backs with Washington. But uh, Coach Brown said we have to be really on our keys. We have to have good leverage on these guys. We have to read their routes correctly. And when it when they catch the ball, we got to make the tackle. When you because ta- if we don't make the tackle, they're going to go the distance. When you talk to Coach Brown, I know Coach DeBoer on Monday insinuated they anticipated Jordan Perryman coming I back. Didn't ask. Did he mention Devon Banks? Because it looked like I'm guessing I didn't it was ask concussion. About injured guys or, or guys who are dinged because the assist, that kind of puts the assistants in bad situations because we're not they're not supposed did to. Did he talk about JV on Green at all? He did not. He just I, he just basically talked in general about the guys that he wanted out there. I just get the sense that because Green has gotten a few more touches both mm-hmm. games, like a little bit more in Portland State than he did yeah. against Kent State. He's just kind of feeling his way into things. I just think that that is one of the few guys they have. And Zachary Spears is a guy yeah. we haven't seen at all. No. And I don't know what his status is. But if, 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 if a guy like Spears is just not available – I think they could rely on a guy like Green. Not when I say rely, I think he, he could see a lot of time because he is one of the few guys where they could maybe match up physically mm-hmm. with you know maybe a Jeremy Bernard or a Barker or some of these bigger guys yeah. that Michigan State has. Well, DeBoer pretty much said that they didn't anticipate you know Javion Green is a guy that's going to play this year. Yeah, no, I, I think so, and I think you know we they're don't not going to redshirt. They're yeah. not going to redshirt him. And and I think the move of Julius Irvin it now makes so much more sense than it ever did, um, just because you know he's going to be a guy that's obviously going to be extremely counted on. Well, and um, you know, I, like I said, I don't I don't know what they're going to do with with guys like Banks or um, Dyson McCutcheon, um, Elijah Jackson. You know, Elijah Jackson sounds like he's coming back. He hasn't from, even dressed. He hasn't even dressed yet, yeah. so we don't know, you know what, what his status is. I probably is. should have gotten more in-depth with him on the status of some of his guys, but I didn't do that. We'll flog you later. On, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I just asked him about you know Michigan State because Michigan State is going to present some challenges for them. For sure. Well, the other thing that's interesting is, you know, with moving, you know, uh, Julius Irvin over to corner and then that may be opening the door a little bit for uh, Tristan Dunn, who they seem to like a lot because, you know, DeBoer also mentioned that that's a guy that they're keeping an eye on that they, you know, are probably going to get on special teams and he's got a chance to play all year as yeah, well. That's a guy who needs to get bigger. Yeah, um, well, he's he's six four. Now he is legitimately six four. But I mean, yeah. I mean more bulk because yeah. he looks like a basketball player. Well, out he there. looks but like the, Asa. Who who's the yeah, big the guy, guy that they had Tyrone's one year or Tyrone for one year? He was like a six four safety. Um, I don't remember. Man, he was like the biggest safety they had ever had. Six five. You talking about Chris Hemphill? Yeah, that's who it was. Okay. Yeah, Chris Hemphill. Deep hole. And, and yeah, that was a deep hole. <laughs> And uh, I remember him being the biggest guy. Tristan Dunn is, is every bit as big as him, just not as bulky. As yeah. Him. But yeah. when but when we're talking about a guy who's taking advantage of Julius Irvin moving, it's Mikelistine. Yeah. That's the guy we're yeah. talking about. Mikelistine, I would expect would play, you know, because I think he's played maybe ten to fifteen snaps the last two and games. If that, yeah. if that, I think he could probably he might end up with double that on Saturday. Well, I just think that he is a guy that is. Playing at a level where it's going to be hard to keep him off what, the field. What you have to wonder, though, is would Vince Nunley be the one getting these snaps if he wasn't hurt? Right, and and for people that don't know, he if they have he looks been, like he might be out for the year. Yeah, it's out. DeBoer, I think, kind of basically said that it's, it looks like he's going to be done. Yeah, he's on crutches. Yeah, so it, it you know exactly. Vince Nunley is a guy that I thought was making strides in oh, spring. We all did. Now in now in August, I don't know. If, I don't know if he's flashed as much, but um, and then maybe that's where some of the injury problems started happening, but. Um, I really do think that McKellestine has played at a really high level. Uh, I've talked to him this week, and I think he just is I, – I don't know if he's downplaying it as much, but we did ask him a lot about, you know, what kept him here when some of the guys like a Jacoby Covington were leaving. And, and because obviously he came yep. in the same class with Elijah Jackson. He only Jackson, has two left. But Elijah Jackson and him were both uh, – was it Palm, Palmdale? No. Or was it? No, uh, it was Losinger. Well, wherever they they came from the same high school. They're not Losinger. Uh, uh, I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, yeah. and so they, they came from the same high school, and, they, and it so, is Lawndale. Yeah, is La- they came from Lawndale. I don't remember the name of the school. But they, uh, you know, they, but he talked a lot about just finding his niche here and, and really feeling comfortable with what's going on. Um, and as much as he loved 
the the previous defensive backs coaches. He he really likes what Coach Brown's about, and that's helping well, him quite a bit. And one other thing, um, and I included Coach it, Burrell, I, I included it in the story was Coach uh, Terrence Brown, Coach Will Harris, and Jimmy Lake all told him to stay. Yeah, they that that I took that. Yeah. that was pretty positive. For no, me. it is, and, and they said trust that this staff here is going to bring in good coaches, yeah. and they're going to have good coaches for you. You also had a chance to talk to Coach Brechterfield today. I did. Always I just, for both. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he, he probably is going to be. I wouldn't say guarded, but he just he pro, he kind of keeps to the the, the storylines and the stick and the talking points. Um, one thing I did want to ask him about is because of his connection with Oregon State, playing there, he's been in big games here before. Has he kind of passed on? Some information to his guys on what it's going to be like in a in a big game like this because he talked about '98. Um, he was part of that team, and I think he, you know it was a really really well fought game, hard game. Because I do remember that 2000 Oregon State game up yeah. here being one of the best I've ever seen. So that Oregon State team in '98 was pretty loaded. Is it safe to say Anoki's probably the quietest coach on the staff? Probably, and he's the yeah. one who doesn't suffer fools. Yeah, he, no. if you ask him a stupid question. Yeah, he looks at you with this glare, and yeah. he's he's only five ten, five eleven. Yeah, but he looks at you, and you're just like, S- sorry. Yeah, but, but, but <laughs> well, the other thing I wanted to really ask him about because we don't get a chance to see these guys very often, but there were a number of the younger guys that got a got a chance to play against Portland State. We got mm-hmm. to see Chelsea Finau. We got to see Bradley McGannon. Jayden we got Parker. to see we got to see Javon Parker, the true freshman. Um, and he said basically it was just it's really good for those guys. It it does a world of good for them. To get in early in their careers, to get get, get quality get snaps like yeah. that, and really get a feel for what's going on, and he goes, you know, it's all about building depth. Because I asked him, I said, is there a chance any of those guys could end up not redshirting? And he goes, absolutely, it's all about depth. We don't know what our room's going to look like, you know, two, three, four weeks from or now, five, six weeks. Yeah, yeah, I have no idea. So it's so crucial for those guys to get snaps um, to make sure that they're ready to go. Um, but he overall, he seems pretty pleased with how they're doing, but he knows that this game's going to be one and loss in the trenches. He knows it's going to be physical, and he knows his guys have to be ready for that. Expecting Saturday with the 4.30 kickoff, expecting Saturday to be the biggest recruiting um, uh, weekend, uh, biggest recruiting game of the year. They're going to have no, a I lot. I don't know. I'm not ready to say that yet, but it is going to be huge. Maybe touch bases on a couple of guys that we know are going to be in on Saturday. Um, well, I've talked to, well, two of them, uh, David Peavy and... Um, Real quick, are any of them officials also? Yes, David Peavy and Diesel Gordon are both official visits. <clears throat> and Anthony James and Rashid Williams have both told me they're coming. And so those two are guys that will be there. There's also a 2024 uh, kid um, that I've been chatting with. That said that he will be there. His name is, and I'm getting it right now, LeVar Talley. He's an outside linebacker. Um, maybe an edge guy, but probably more of like a will. Um, when he gets to college, uh, LeVar Talley um, from California, he's coming up. He said, he, I've got a number for him. I'm going to get his thoughts. He actually doesn't have an offer from UW yet, but he has Florida State and Georgia. And so I think Washington <coughs> is probably not far away from making him an offer. Um, some other, Landon Hatchett will be here. Uh, Jacob Lane is planning to be here. Uh, I know that Kale uh, uh, Tafai, um, one of the big offensive lineman yeah. from losing her that Washington has committed, he's going to be here. Elijah Jackett's going to be here. So there's going to be a, there's going to be a good contingent of commits here. But along with I mean, David Peavy is a big time guy. Yeah. I mean, he has offered. He I mean, it's it was down to UCL, USC and Oregon, but Washington has slid in there. And I think he could be a possible edge guy if if they if they're able to reel him in. And I think that's one great thing about having Anthony James on campus, yeah. about having some of these other big name guys on campus to help recruit him. Also, real quick, just for context, on the twenty twenty four guy you mentioned, <laughs> people may be wondering how is Washington not offered a guy that's been offered by Florida State, Georgia, and whoever. Well, bottom line is when a player will take money out of his own pocket to come up on an unofficial visit like that, the, the, the coaches kind of want the statement of intent, especially on a West Coast kid. It's easy for a school all the way back east to just, just throw out, out an offer. Yeah, yeah. They, they could throw out. But for, for a West Coast school to, to, to really look hard at a West Coast kid, 
you want to see if there's the basis for a relationship. And they want to they want to look the kid in the eye. They want to see how he reacts to like maybe taking a tour of the facilities or things like that. Don't be surprised if he comes this, home with an offer. Let's just put it this way: USC and UCLA haven't offered yet, right? But don't okay? be surprised. So, but what I'm I'm backing yeah. up your point, yeah. where it's easy for Florida State and Georgia to throw out that offer because what 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 is a big deal to them, right? Yeah. No. USC and UCLA know that they can't just throw out an offer to a kid from Southern California no. because that kid might just commit to us. We need to meet, want this kid. He's not just going to commit to Georgia. Yeah. Right, he, he wants to see it. Well, Washington, why not offer him while he's on campus around a bunch of other kids? Well, or if, or in the worst case, if Georgia does offer and he commits on the spot, well, you know that that kid will never stay committed to Georgia. Yeah. So two more for you, Scott, real quick before we wrap this okay. up. But this class is almost full. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't have a lot of spots left, and um, you know, I'm kind of looking at you know they're they're not going to waste if they're taking guys now. They got to really, really like them. How many more realistically shots do you think they're going to take with commits? Because I think that they want to save a couple for the transfer portal to fill in. I think up to four. Four more. Yeah, which puts them at 23 because they're at 19 right now. So I think you're probably looking at four. I think they want at least one more wide receiver. They want an edge, one more edge because Jacob Wade's an edge. They've been looking at some defensive linemen, and I know they already have a couple. But they're looking at a defensive lineman, and then I, I think safety or corner, they might even look there. Yeah, so and, we've always and, talked and about I, the 25 oh, number. And, and there's always, I'm sorry, there's yeah. always a possibility of bringing in another tailback. Right, yeah. so we've always talked about the 25 number being the number of guys that they're going to sign. I don't think anyone's just shying away from that. But again, I've even talked to DeBoer about this, and he's been super candid about it, saying, yeah, I mean, if they sign 23 kids there, they might still keep those two available to well, make it to well, word, 25. Word starts filtering out once the season starts, and I think the next couple weeks you're going to start hearing the back channels of guys mm-hmm. you know, that are maybe looking to well, transfer. There, there's always possibility that there's a guy in Washington's class currently who maybe they're fine with leaving, or maybe that kid is secretly talking to other schools and flips yeah. and yeah. goes somewhere and else. So it. they're going to keep – Five to ten guys on the hook. And you talk about flipping, and that was my other question, is a lot of the in-state kids, because they weren't familiar with this coaching staff, left the state and took offers elsewhere. Yeah. You know, and now they're getting to see what this program is about. And with this, if they're able to beat yeah. Michigan State, maybe some of those commit, in-state commits that are going yeah. elsewhere come back and take a second look. Would not surprise me at all. Yeah. I'm not going any further than that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's always possible. I, I just don't think it would hinge on the result of one game. Per no, se, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. It's not, but yeah. I think now that they've seen what this staff is like, though, or they can at least hear yeah. what, they, what they're like and they can see the results on the field. With you know, the amount of uncertainty, questions yeah, are being Washington answered. Washington goes 9-3, and 8-4. and four. Yeah. They start to see, okay, they, they went. Yeah, they got a plan. They've got a plan. They're working their plan. I wouldn't mind being part of it. I'm homesick. I'm in the middle of Pennsylvania, and it's snowing, and there's no other poly kids. I, sure. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. But, you know, the, those kind of guys, are, are they're going to say, oh, you mean I could go home and play for a winner there? Well, I, I won't say who said it, but they said every wide receiver that goes in the transfer portal yeah, is going to look at Washington. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to look at Washington. But anyways um, – uh, wrap it up, Scott Eklund. Um, you know, uh, another good week, another open week. This is, I agree with you, Kim. This is where we find out what this team is. I don't think we're going to know this team completely, but I think we get a really good feel for how this season is going to go. If they, look, I know fans are going to want the Huskies to win. Obviously, it's, you know, I think, I personally think the Huskies can win every game on the schedule the remainder of the way. They've got the talent, they've got the skill, they've got the coaching. They're not going to. And but even if Washington loses, let's say they lose 27-21 or you know 30 to 23, something like that, where it's within striking distance, <clears throat> they lose a close game. It's going to be frustrating, but it's going to tell everybody, hey, Washington is not the four and eight squad that we saw last year. Washington is is more of a power than we were giving them credit for before the season started. And I think Washington, even if they lose, that it will get respect from pundits. Wrap it up, Chris Fetters. Yeah, I just, I'll leave those thoughts for the, the, the pregame podcast. But um, I will say in terms of talking to the coaches and players this week, 
there certainly is a sense that they, they are trying to cling to that 1-0 mantra, no matter whether subconsciously they know this is a bigger game than the other two. They're certainly not trying to treat it like that. Um, I really did this week try to see if I could get a sense of, of whether or not they really understand how big this game is from the outside. And I think it's a testament to them that they're not paying attention to anything that's going on on the outside. I think they really are just trying to look at what's on the film. They can appreciate the fact that what they're seeing is a team that matches up with them in a big way on a number of fronts and that they're simply just trying to attack those areas and um, try to see if they can stay 1-0. And that's impressive um, because I think in a lot of ways, maybe last year's team would have allowed themselves to hype this game up like it, like it was hyping up the game at Michigan last year uh, just for a huge letdown. And obviously the week before that game was – we won't even talk about that. But the way things have gone so far – it really sets itself up to be a hell of a contest. And I, I just get the sense that they're super excited about it. They know that this place with the purple out and everything else, that they're going to be able to get this thing rocking. And I think they're trying to do everything that they can to get those types of intangibles on their side so they can help win this game. What channel is the game on this Saturday? ABC. Okay. I think this could be a real huge game for Washington with that 4.30 kickoff. That's going to be 7.30 kickoff. There's going to be a lot of eyeballs on this game, you know, and taking a look. And I just remember the Nebraska game. Temperatures are expected in the um, upper 60s, low 70s. Mid-60s mid is what I'm seeing. Oh, okay. But with a little bit of smoke that we have in the air and the kind of sunsets, do you guys remember the Nebraska game when the sun went down and the place was on fire? fire i think we have a chance to have that kind of a sunset with a national tv audience with all those recruits in it could be a pretty spectacular event here uh saturday because well, with washington playing nebraska that one year yeah. that was the first night game they'd ever played. yeah we didn't well, know it no then. it wasn't but it was one of the first oh I, yeah i, I think wyoming was, was earlier okay. than that but yeah no the point stands it was a rare event but we have a chance to, if we have that spectacular <laughs> sunset you know with the sun going down and the sky on fire mm -hmm. it could be a really cool event yeah. in husky stadiums you know i've talked to some of the uw officials they've been kind of squirrely with me on the um actual uh, you know how many tickets sold and i haven't got a firm answer and they're telling me they're going to give me one but rumor has it that michigan state returned some of their tickets so we'll see what kind of a crowd we do indeed have for saturday but uh, 4.30 kickoff, better than the 7.30 kickoff. So uh, not as good as the 1 o'clock kickoff. But uh, we'll 4.30 isn't I've gotten the sense that the Michigan State fans, that, that at least looking online, things like that, they, they haven't gone through UW to get their tickets or Michigan State. They've, gone, they've gotten them through the aftermarket sales. Yeah. And just a heads up, for those who are coming from the south end, 405 is a portion of 405 is going to be closed from Friday night to Sunday night, right around Newcastle. So that's going to be a cluster if you're trying to take 405 to the game. But then you take I-5, and then they have the construction going on on I-5 oh, as it, well. Or is it Revive I-5? Yeah, that's going on this, this weekend? weekend too. So not only 405 oh, and I-5, but I'm just telling you right now, if you're coming to the game, leave early. Leave early It's uh, or take the transit because it's going to be a mess. So what are you going to do, Cam? Are you going to go around Renton? No, he's get... leaving us early. How early? Oh, no. Well, no, to get to the game, I'll get there early. No, but you'll leave us early, too. It doesn't seem to matter because it's going to be closed anyways. I thought, you know, but yeah, oh. it, it closes Friday night. Oh, okay. It closes Friday night and does so it. He'll... He'll just go down five, probably. Yeah, yeah, I'll just go down five. Go I live down by five. the Seahawks facility. So, um, anyways, just really looking forward to it. And, again, we're going to find out what kind of a team we had. Um, and then uh, also, uh, I don't know if either one of you on the way uh, inside today um, had a chance to walk through Heck Ed, but big Frank, Frank Kepnong, was working out in the gym. And, and a bunch of the women were out there, too. Yeah. They're shooting around and everything. Yeah, Big Frank working on jump shots. He looks good. He's going to be a scary dude for the basketball team. Yeah, but he's so. no Venus Williams. Yeah, Venus Williams Tuesday was out playing tennis. I guess she had um, a um, commitment at Amazon and was looking to work out. She didn't go to the spheres, though. Yeah. That's good. She, she was she was working out. I mean, she was playing tennis with the um, – I can't remember that guy's name. Is it Matt Stewart? I think so. Something yeah, he's, he's one of his new assistants. Assistant tennis coaches in – 
He was giving her a run for the money. But um, I was, I don't know if you noticed it, but she's a big girl. I mean, she looks like she's six. She's six, she's six foot. I'm no, she's sure. bigger than that. She's, uh, I mean, she looked like, she looked like she could play linebacker. She wasn't I just thick, just athletic. Think looking. she was small for some reason. I, well, you know, I, I've I'm, never thought either one of the. I'm Williams thinking Chrissy Everett, you know, but no, no she's a she's a, a big athletic a girl. Different ath- athletes, man. <laughs> I'm guessing she was six one, six two, one ninety, two hundred pounds, and just cut. She's I don't, impressive. I don't know about two hundred pounds, but okay. Yeah, no. Well, she's muscular, muscle, muscle. Don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah, she's she's, a, she's a finely tuned athlete. I yeah. mean, she's. She's competed on the world stage for decades. Big now. girl. Right, but, uh, was it Serena or Venus? Venus. Ser- yeah, it was Venus. Okay. No, yeah. Serena is built differently. You're going to see her height listed, but it's funny they never list a not woman's women, weight. Not women's, not for women. No. But... She's 6'1", 165, according to this. Yeah. <laughs> 200 pounds. Oh, you take a look at the video I put up. She's <laughs> thick. So, anyways, hey, okay. uh, for all of us from dogman.com, I'm Ken Grinnells with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. Thank you.